Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? Well, that's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. <laughs> Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. This is probably one of our more exciting episodes on a very personal level because, Zach, hello, how are, how are you, by the way? This is a special episode. Doing great. Great. Doing great. Okay, good. So we're both on the same page so far. That's already a great start to an episode. But um, <laughs> you and I bonded um, very early on over 3 o'clock high. Everybody's heard that episode now. And if you haven't, go on back, listen to it, check it out. Uh, listen with some friends on Zoom and uh, start like the equivalent of a book club with that episode. Talk about it. Um, Three O'Clock High, we bonded over that movie. The song from Three O'Clock High, the song is Something to Remember Me By, by Jim Walker. You and I bonded over that song. It started in sort of a text thread talking about how we both loved it. All of a sudden, one thing leads to another. And you go and you say to Jim, hey, we love your song. Could your song be the intro and outro to our podcast? And he miraculously says, he says, sure. I, I just want to backtrack a little bit. You text me one day and said, uh, it looks like it's going to be just one of those days, Jerry. And uh, you said, <laughs> this song is stuck in my head all day or something to that effect. And I thought, you know what? We were still in the throes of trying to figure out the direction of our podcast and the opening track because as you well know uh the most important note to anything is the opening note like how are you going to hit how are you going to hit the audience right are you sure. hit them over the head really gently or are you going to hit them with a boom or what are you going to do you you sent me that text and i said that's the song we need for our podcast and i reached out to jim graciously almost immediately said sure no big deal and not only granted us the the, the use of his song but um it kind of took on a whole world of its own i said at that point we'd love to have you on the show down the road as a guest today's the day jim walker day is today and while many people who are fans of the 80s and three o'clock high will know him for that song the guy has a crazy story, like an amazing story. Yeah, it's another one of those great, like, what I'm now calling that, like, that $2 late fee underdog, you know, success story. It's like, you want to root for that person, and then, uh, you know, very similar to a lot of our guests, but, like, just to, to realize, like, oh, that was the journey? I had no idea. And what a journey, man. Underdog is perfect. I consider you and I underdogs in this crazy world we live in and jim is an underdog for sure underdog prevailing yeah he's a great he, insightful funny 
by the end of it, I think we were all making plans to hang out and have a virtual beer together. <laughs> and, I mean, and Jim has since become such a such a, a personal friend of the show. So it's very it's very exciting and uh, and very cool how that can just happen organically. No doubt, the guy is is not just a singer songwriter, but he is a uh, film composer as well. If you look up his resume of work uh, musically, it, it's kind of a laundry list of <laughs> how many songs <laughs> has he written. Uh, he's, dare I say, the Eric Roberts of <laughs> singer songwriters <laughs> yeah. with the amount of amount of songs he puts out all the time. But yeah, you, what what you'll hear in this interview is a really inspirational story. I'm really excited about this episode, and I think uh, enjoy it. Enjoy Jim Walker. Jim um, Walker, great. thanks for being on $2 Late Fee. I am so happy to be here. <laughs> this is uncharted territory for us because obviously we are living in some pretty different times right now. Uh, normally we'd be at the studio recording and we're all remote. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I, we were thinking about like, how are you doing up, up in Portland right now? You know, um, most of my time is sp spent uh, in my little studio, kind of hoveled in anyway. So it's not that much different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, you know, um, you know, obviously it's, it's just, it's just so strange. I mean, that's just everybody I talk to, it's got the same thing. I mean, this is like you said, uncharted, no one knows really what to do or how to feel, or it's, it's just sort of like this low level anxiety that hangs over everything. Totally. Totally. And it changes yeah. you guys constantly. How are you guys too. down there? I heard something about somebody moving while we were trying to get the tech bugs worked out well our our engineer mike uh he and his wife and young child just moved uh they moved the day kind of quarantine started happening um and uh oh my god so that's a that's a that throws you for a loop for sure right and then yeah, i have it's a been strange for sure yeah <laughs> i didn't wow. mean to hop in but whatever yeah. Yeah. no no you're yeah. invited in yeah 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 it's... weird to talk about you and not have you actually yeah and and we you know oftentimes we'll bring up mike on the show and mike's our engineer uh, at Real Voice LA Studios, and thank God for him and patching us all together and keeping us all connected. And True, I have yeah. a five-year-old. I have a five-year-old son, and and he's uh, he's pretty. I think he's actually enjoying this time uh, with me. <laughs> uh, I used to be a kindergarten teacher, so a lot of my oh wow. So my I was a before I became a voice actor, and 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 Justin and I met. I was a kindergarten teacher for fifteen years. So uh, this is getting me back into that mindset again, but being uh -huh. stuck in the house all day and trying to find moments to, to get out and social distance, um, you know, it's challenging, but, uh, we're making the most of it. Yeah. And, yeah. and Dustin, how are you doing? Well, I, I just, to, to Jim's point about this, those like low level anxiety, it's like, it's, you know, it's like the mind rationalizes and says like, Hey, you know, this isn't that bad, but then like, I feel like the body, meanwhile, is like absorbing all these other kinds of emotions that then come out, you know, in yeah. strange times. And it's like, yeah, it just feels very uh, heavy. And I feel like day to day, you know, we've never been in, I mean, A, a situation obviously where the entire earth is, is quarantined or affected by this. Like literally everybody in the world is affected by this, which is yeah. just, you know, unprecedented for us. But then also um, just kind of like, uh, you know, there's that 
th- that lack of, of human connection or, you know, we're, we're doing it in different ways. Sure. But then, uh, every day is Wednesday and, uh, <laughs> you know, things just, uh, feel, yeah, just kind of like, you know, sad and it can, it can be very consuming. And I think because the data, oh, I was going to say that the data changes every hour, yes. you know, our information mm-hmm. changes so much. So then that's hard to keep up with. And then that can be overwhelming too. So yeah, so it's hard to to remember, like okay, self care, and um, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. <laughs> right, it's yeah, not going to be forever. I think, no, every day I'm trying to come up with a fun, creative thing for a five year old, which in a way is therapy for me because it's this sure. reminder that the world is scary, but it shouldn't take away from the art you're creating, um, and maybe the art becomes more magical in a way. Uh, I know, you know, Jim, you you have been a musician for a really long time, and I want to get into all of that. But I know recently you've been doing some some live uh, live mini concerts uh, from your home, right? Yeah, um, I uh, I kind of stopped playing live uh, about six years ago. Okay, and. Um, it, it was just something that I had, I had been working with another guy in a duo for about over 20 years. And he was completely insane. I mean, this guy <laughs> wanted to work every single night of the week. He, he was like the good guitar player who could kind of sing. And I'm like the kind of good guitar player who could sing. And so <laughs> I was the one. We, and we would do these like marathon three and a half hour shows where we wouldn't take a break. Damn. That's what the end of the night. I know it was Damn. crazy. So at the end Stamina. of the night, he'd be like, you know, oh gosh, I have a little blister, and I'm like, ah. and he's like, see you tomorrow, and I'm like, okay. So, you know, as I've gotten older, my voice just doesn't quite bounce back the way it used to, and I was finding myself being in a, a lot of voice trouble, um, mm. and I kept saying, we got to like, you know, let's notch this back a little bit, and uh, it just wasn't in our DNA to do that. So finally, I just had to, I knew I, I couldn't take an extended break. So I just sort of said, look, I think I'm just going to stop. And I had hoped that after maybe six or seven months, I'd kind of feel differently and want to come back and start doing it again. But I found that I was really having a, a nice time having my weekends for a change <laughs> yeah. and being able to spend right. time with my wife, which, you know, yeah. I, I, we hardly ever saw each other. She's a, she's a um, photo producer and she's okay. gone a lot. So she was gone a lot during the week, and then I'm gone on the weekends. It's like, you know, ships passing in the night. So um, yep. it, it was really nice to be home and just sort of like have a life again. So I didn't really jump back into it. And then unfortunately, my music partner passed away in 2016. He, he had a cancer that just kind of was super aggressive in like three months, uh, and he's gone. So sorry. And uh, it was yeah. rough. It was really rough for because this guy was like, if he was like the musician's musician of Portland. He played on everybody's oh, wow. albums. He owned the, the super nice recording studio up here that everybody used and uh, like taught little kids how to play music to, you know, taught people that were older and, and more advanced. And uh, he was just like the guy, the go-to guy in Portland and the last guy you'd ever expect that to happen to, but it happened. So then it was kind of like, oh, I guess, mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm not going to go play with that guy <laughs> again. And I kept thinking <laughs> to myself, well, who would I want to go play with? And really I couldn't, Think I mean, there's great musicians up here, um, but I just was sort of like, ah, it just sounds like such a to-do to like put a band together or put some kind of situation together that was as, was as fun as that. So uh, 
yeah, I just have been more concentrating on post-production, uh, doing sound for, uh, you know, a film and TV, a music for film and TV and, uh, sound design and things like that and mixing things. And I, I, I love all that stuff. Plus of course I'm keep putting out my own albums, but, yeah. um, to yeah. get back to what you were saying, like all of a sudden when all this stuff started happening, I was like, man, I just kind of feel like playing for some reason. So I sort of set up some little, you know, freaky little video thing in my studio here <laughs> and started doing these short sets, like between like six and 10 minutes. And, um, it's been, it's been really nice to hear people kind of go, Hey man, I missed you. It's like, Oh, oh thanks man. <laughs> oh, I love that. So seeing you and hearing your music live has been, uh, very uplifting. Uh, I know I've checked out, checked it out a few times and, and it's just nice to see art here. being created. Oh, thanks guy. You know? Um, because you know, I love, I love there's when all this went down, people were saying like, you know, that story you want to write, or, you know, that movie you want to make, you know, that album yeah. you want to finish now's your time. And it was very kind of cheesy and like, I get that, you know, but, but I think the realistic side, at least from my side was like, let's just have some sanity <laughs> first, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, so, it's kind of hard to sit down and write that rom-com with this, you know, kind of waving in the background going, hi, hi. <laughs> it adds, yeah. it's so much pressure. It's like weird society pressure, right? Because it's like, well, now I have this opportunity, you know, if, you, if you're trying to approach this as an opportunity, um, this this being, you know, self-isolation, then then you you still have to take into account the fact that you need to be kind to yourself. And, yeah, you know, you can't just sit down and be like, I need to be creative now. Why can't I? And then that just spirals into other uh, unnecessary feelings about how you're yeah. not using this time wisely. I think yeah. it's a pressure. Yeah. It's a pressure. It's an unneeded pressure, <laughs> unhealthy pressure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dustin and I, right before we were kind of quarantined, we had one more episode that we recorded in person and, um, and it was so nice to do that. And then I, and I said, well, Jim's in Portland. And so he, we're not going to see him in person. So let, <laughs> let's get this going, right. you know, cause he's not going to be here. It's not like we can take a selfie with him or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and here we are getting back to you, you know, finally, no, I mean, kidding. seriously, really? no, you know, the, the, the whole point of why we're here, damn it. Um, your voice is very unique. Like you talk about, uh, how you're, you're a decent guitarist and you've got a, you got a good sounding voice like that opening song for three o'clock high was a game changer for Dustin and I. I'll really? Just, well, yes, yeah. Dude, dude, Jim, yeah. this is not even, I, I yeah, I, I can't even sit by and be quiet while he's talking yeah. about it. Cause I'm getting excited. Something to remember <laughs> me by. Well, we'll explain this in the intro, but something to remember me by just, so we say it, uh, really, I don't want to say shaped, shaped who I am as a person. Cause that sounds crazy. But, um, this song has been in my head for like 30 years as oh something God. that just brings me great joy along with that movie. Um, and something that Zach and I connected with um, very early on. It was one of those, you know, he's like, remember three o'clock high? And I was like, I'll tell you, I swear to God, that song was just in my head like an hour ago. And he's like, what? <laughs> um, so, so the fact that you have so graciously allowed us to use that song is so, I, I, I have no, accurate gratitude gratefulness words for you but other than just you know it just I really appreciate it and it so personifies 
uh, who we, the, the podcast and, and Zach and I, and, you know, our love of the eighties and that time period. And, uh, so they, that's um, fantastic. I'll, I'll, Gosh, I'm, thanks. Uh, tagging Thank out, you. but, but honestly, yes, <laughs> no. it's amazing. No, I mean, Dustin, you, yeah. I, I remember specifically, so Dustin and I just, just to, to, to cue you in, uh, we met a few years back and, and bonded over our love of eighties movies and soundtracks. And, um, and I, I feel like we were texting back and forth and I said, yeah, you, you know, this song He's like, Oh, I love this song. And it was something to remember me by. I'll tell you, and, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the exact, the exact text exchange. Cause it was so weird cool. because yeah. we, we accidentally bonded over eighties shit. And then, uh, yeah. And then <laughs> we were we like, swear. We, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Swear, whatever. If you oh, want to, yeah, if you want to, if you want to talk anti, anti Trump, Trump politics, whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we had had a meal and I left and then Zach texted, do you remember three o'clock high? And I said, I think I was like, I have something to remember me by in my head this morning. And that was so yes. weird. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. It, it, yeah, you said that, and I yes. said, "Well, it's a part of my workout mix, which is actually not yes. a joke, because uh, <laughs> yes. uh, you know yeah. I'm eclectic that way. I'm a Gemini. Come on." So, uh, so, so I said, "I said, well, I want to get a re- like a proper copy of it because I have the vinyl, but I don't have like a proper MP3 download." And that's when I looked you up and I found you on Bandcamp, uh-huh. and I said, "Oh shit, this guy actually has more music than just this song because I I hadn't really done a deep dive yet." And then I started deep diving into your music, and that's when I reached out to you and asked you. Uh, I think I asked you specifically about the song, and you just sent it to me, and I was blown away by that. And I told Dustin, I'm like, Jim Walker actually sent me the song directly. And Dustin was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then uh, he and I came up with the idea for the podcast, and and we wanted a, a catchy opening. And I said, well, why don't we... I'm going to reach out to Jim and see if he'd be open to this. And you obviously were. And it's, and it is Dustin, you said it so eloquently. Uh, it's true that, that, that this song is, is an anthem to us uh, in, in, in so many ways. And so, yeah, thank you as well uh, for, for the song, you just, you being you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't even know what to say. That's so darn nice. I just can't believe it, but I, I, I'm happy to, you know, to be a part of this. It's so, it's really so cool. It's funny because I I was checking out uh, some of the some of the uh, your podcast yesterday, and every time okay. I would start, I'd be like, "Hey, I, I forgot that the song <laughs> was starting." At <laughs> I know that. Well, my son, my son sings it now uh, in in the bathtub, uh, and and I I told him I was interviewing you today, and he's like. He's like, the guy who does that song, that three o'clock high song? And I said, yeah. He's like, oh, that's cool. And and we'll hum it together. And when I brush his teeth, because it has to be two minutes, right? So I'll be humming your song to him to kind of keep him on, uh, uh, <laughs> make sure I do two minutes or whatever. And, uh, and Song's longer than two minutes, X. It's longer be, than two minutes. Aware, uh, <laughs> I brush his teeth sections. a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but he said to me on many occasions, he's like, I love that song. I said, yeah, you should. It's really oh, good. Oh, man. Okay, I want to go back a little bit. You were you're born you're from LA originally, right? Yeah. And you were born what part of LA are you from? Um, I grew up in La Cañada. Okay. Right by Pasadena there, Glendale. Love La Cañada. I'm I'm in Altadena right now. So Oh, okay. La yeah, Cañada is where I do my shopping, my marketing. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I, I lived there. Um I lived in LA my entire life um until I turned twenty eight, I think. Okay. And then my wife and I we just were like Hey, let's live somewhere else. Just 
for fun, you know, and we were dating yeah. at the time. We weren't married. So it was kind of a big thing that we were just like packing everything up and going. Yeah. But we always figured, you know, it, it's always going to be there. We can come back. And uh, we kind of just got up here and sort of fell into a, it's a funny thing because it's, it's probably a, a lot more like LA here now. But at the time there was definitely this strange rhythm that I wasn't used to of everything was slower. People were just sort of more mellow. There was more people doing kind of art for art's sake instead of like, you know, I'm going to write a screenplay and then I know this guy who knows this guy who knows this guy who knows a mailman, you know, and I'm going to get this thing nailed. It wasn't, it wasn't so much about, you know, like making it and all that kind of stuff. Um, just sort of like a bunch of people making music just for fun. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I didn't know what I was going to do when I got up here. I didn't really figure I'd be doing much music anymore. I just kind of thought I'd come up here and like exist, like work at Radio Shack and come home and eat food. And that was the end of that. But um, <laughs> yeah, when I got up here, I was just like, this is kind of like where I feel really comfortable. So, well, yeah. had you always envisioned being a, a, a musician, full time musician when you were when you were a kid or was that kind of a dream for you? Um, when I started playing music, yeah, I when I was a little kid before I was 10, like when I was eight or nine, I, I was a um a kid magician. Okay. And, awesome. uh, I, my, nice. my uh, stage name, my stage name was Jumboli the magician. And I went around to That's little phenomenal kids, kids birthday parties. And that's where I kind of, you know, learned how to do all that kind of stage stuff very early on. But the thing that I found was I just did not like fooling people like that. Mm. So the kids would be like, Hey, how'd you do that? And I'd go, Oh, you see this thing? It's a mirror right here. Yeah. You look at <laughs> you your hand in there. You see, and uh, everyone thought that was infinitely cooler than, you know, someone just, it's like the cardinal sin of a magician is tell, tell the, right. you know, how to do the trick. Right. But they don't like it. It made people like me better though. <laughs> well, I, it, it's, it's, it's a, there's a, it's the science behind it, right? You're, you're showing the science behind it, which is, I think it's also equally cool. Um, you know, it takes away the illusion obviously, but the kids are kind of seeing, whoa, that's how you do that. It's amazing. I don't know. Personally. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was always really into magic and, and that kind of stuff. There, there was a magician in the 70s named uh, Doug Henning, who was an amazing I, close oh magician. Yeah, yeah love, we love Doug oh yeah. Henning. Okay, yeah. Good, yeah. The, really trippy dude. Um, yep. and, magic. Uh, very tied. <laughs> yeah, it's magic. But, yeah, gesticulating. Uh, so I really liked doing that. But I also really um, enjoyed acting. So I was in all the plays and all that kind of stuff and liked to sing in the musicals and all that stuff. But then I, I got to my teens, my terrible teens. And, you know, I was into like Sabbath and Aerosmith and Zeppelin and all that kind of stuff. And I picked up an electric guitar and my dad and I immediately drew swords, you know, and, and uh, I, uh -oh. we had out by our, we had a swimming pool because as you know, everybody in California has a pool. Of course. Um, we, uh, yep. <laughs> and we had a, uh, a pool room out there where people would get changed and stuff like that. And I sort of transferred that to my bedroom. Like I didn't mm. want to be in the house with these idiot adults anymore. <laughs> Moved out there, yeah. uh, got a little recording thing set up and, and sat out there and started learning how to write songs and things like that. And then eventually when I was 18 or 19, uh, I started paying rent. And that was became my apartment out in the back, and nice. uh, yeah, so that that's where I lived. I just lived in this like sort of room where uh, it didn't even have like a proper door, and I'd wake up in the <laughs> in the middle of the night, yeah. and there would be like 
a skunk in my room, just like oh, no. looking oh, at me or like mice just running around. It was very, it was rustic. <laughs> your, Good. your landlord sucks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that, How dare room they? Became, that, that room was great because that's where I had, um, I had a band in the eighties called lost Anthony nice. and we, uh, we played all over the place and were part of kind of that scene that was playing during that time. And, uh, that was where our band practice was, was in that room. And I'd roll my mattress back out and, you know, when they leave, hang was, out with the uh, skunks. And the was, Lost Anthony, was Lost Anthony kind of, uh, how would you describe the sound? It was, the only way I can describe it is uh, completely disparate from everybody. Everybody in the band was wanted something else. Like I was really oh, super into perfect. Elvis Costello. I liked okay. Elvis Costello and Joe Jackson and like a Marshall lot of Brit- Crenshaw or exactly all that sort of, uh, you know, singer songwriter, Brit pop kind of pub rock kind of stuff. I loved all that. Yep. And I loved Tom Waits and mm-hmm. I loved, uh, Frank Zappa, a bunch of stuff like that. Nice. And then the bass player was really into like the Eagles. So he wore like denim oh, no. Oh, no. and that was it. It was like, I'm, and he had a mullet and it was like, okay, I'm, I'm the bass player. I wear denim. The drummer, when are we going to cover the long run? <laughs> <laughs> the drummer, amazing drummer, um, Scott, uh, he, he was really into the trends of the day. So he was wearing like, like a, you know, wife beater kind of shirt and like earring star earrings, moose up hair, uh, flipping his sticks a lot, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, Tommy Lee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and the yeah. keyboard player was sort of this, uh, who's a guy that's a friend of mine to this day as who's sort of this, like he, he was really into like Fats Waller, old standards, Sinatra, oh, cool stuff like that. And couldn't really, didn't really like rock music very much, except for maybe like <laughs> Kate Bush or something that was very oh, esoteric. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's sure. like throw these four guys <laughs> together. And it's like, what, what are we doing? You know, it, it really, the sound was so weird. Um, I was it sounds like Frank Zappa's of, band actually. <laughs> I was always kind of p- pulling for it to be a little bit um, just sort of eccentric pop music, I guess. Okay. Um, I don't know exactly, didn't exactly know what that was, but I always liked stuff that was very melodic, but yeah. I also liked stuff that was just sort of made you stop and go, what is that exactly?
So that was the attempt anyway. And we, we had a great time. We played for, I'd say, five or six years down there. Is and that how you got discovered by um, uh, Phil? Uh, oh, Juano? Yeah, Juano, yeah. Well, that was um, an interesting thing because uh, my sister. The director of 3 O'Clock High, for the record. Director of 3 O'Clock yes, High. Sorry. Yes, sorry. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, my sister was best friends with his sister, Kathy. Okay. And so he knew of me from her and he called me up one day and he said, Hey, I'm, um, this is Phil Juano and I'm, I want to take some guitar lessons. I was like, <laughs> okay. So this is before anything had happened for him, uh, except that he, he was, he was like a kind of a well-known guy in town cause he was this super, super, um, fun, interesting guy, very charismatic. And he was ma- always making movies and getting people, come on, let's make this movie, like super eight movie or whatever. And so everybody kind of knew, like, he's the film guy. Like, he's going to go in to do something with film. So when he called me, he said, yeah, I want to play guitar. I was like, okay. So he came over out to my little skunk room. And uh, we would <laughs> nice. sit out there and, and do, uh, you know, guitar lessons. And um, all of a sudden, these things, he, he said, you know, I got this opportunity to make a, a short film. He's going to USC. And he said, I got this opportunity to make a short film, and there's a part in it I think would be great for you. And I was supposed to be the best friend of the lead guy. So we spent a little time and made this little movie. And and after that, um, it got, uh, I think it was AFI where he did the movie, uh, American Film Institute. And mm-hmm. they had an awards ceremony one night. And his film was chosen for the, uh, was up for the award. And it won. And so a bunch of us nice. were there kind of cheering him on. And it was it was really kind of fun. But the second the movie ended, all of a sudden, all these suits started approaching Phil. Wow. I mean, people coming up and handing, call, you know, business cards, business cards, business cards. And he was kind of standing in the middle of it going, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. And I think the next morning he got called by Steven Spielberg to um, uh, direct a, uh, a show that he was producing at the time called Amazing Stories. Do you guys remember that one? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, oh, yeah. yeah I, think it's, I think it's rebooted now. Or something. Yeah, I just I just watched the the mission, uh, the Kevin Costner, uh, the Spielberg directed episode of that. Oh, where there okay, with a with a Casey Shumasco from Three O'clock High is is that uh, right? He, yeah, he plays the gunner of this plane, and and he gets stuck in the undercarriage, and they have to land, and uh, the wheels won't drop. Uh, but he's an artist, and he draws wheels, and suddenly cartoon wheels come down, and they land the plane. And uh, there's more to it, obviously, but. That's kind of a cool, you know. It's a weird t- twist. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It, well, you know, it, it's amazing, as yeah. they would say. Yeah that, yeah. that show was, that that show was huge. Yeah. So, the, and they were always, they were kind of like Twilight Zones, but not as dark. Yes. As I recall. Yep. So all of a sudden he got this, uh, he directed the Christmas episode of Amazing Stories. And then all this stuff st- just started to, you know, pressure, pressure, st- kind of steam valve behind him and just started mm. blowing him up. And, and he got this. Um, opportunity to do three o'clock high and we were still giving guitar lessons at this point wow. and when he went off to shoot it he said uh he goes yeah i'm, I'm gonna be gone in utah shooting this this movie for a few months so i won't be able to you know take lessons i was like okay kind of forgot all about it and then a few months later he he said you know i'm i'm thinking that maybe if you tried to write a song for this thing maybe i could get in i can't promise anything but i you know you could try and he wow. gave me this the the opening scene where Jerry's getting up in the morning and, you know, trying to get ready for school and get out the door. Those days, Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just sat down and 
you know, over the course of a day or two, I came up with this song and then I sent it, excuse me, sent it to Phil. And he was like, I think this is totally perfect. And I went, okay. And before he got a chance to give it to Spielberg, whoever um, was producing the movie, else was producing the movie said, okay, we've got uh, the Thompson twins lined up. We've got the alarm, which was a band back then, 68 guns and Tom Petty. They're all, they're all doing songs for the, for the movie. And he went, Oh, I guess that my friend isn't going to get a song in a movie then. (laughs) And, um, so the the alarm was pretty big back then. Yeah. 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 And so they, uh, they all submitted songs and Spielberg heard the songs and he said, I don't like any of these. I don't think they're the right fit for the movie. Yeah. And Phil had this cassette of my song and he said, what do you think of this? And he listened to it and he goes, that's the song. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) that's that's, amazing. That's pretty cool. So Spielberg was the one who kind of gave the green light. Yeah. That is crazy. That's yeah, right. Do you still have that cassette tape? Oh, yeah. I'm a hoarder. <laughs> I'm an audio hoarder. <laughs> oh, I mean, did you, so had you just done like a little demo on the cassette or was it, a, did you go into the studio and make something polished at that point or what, what, um, what did you I had a little, give him? I had a little four track cassette, uh, Fostex cassette machine. And I basically just put a drum machine, I mean, drum machine up, a bass, a guitar, and a couple of vocals. And that was it. Not a whole lot different oh. than, than the, uh, the final product. Wow. But, um, I'd, love to, I'd love to get a, uh, have a listen to that. Oh, I'll send it to you. That's cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that would be easy. We'll put, it up, we'll put it on the show. We'll put it right here. song is so it is so perfect i mean dustin and i will have this conversation on a regular basis talking about okay we need to watch three o'clock high again we need to (laughs) (laughs) well i was even thinking of it like like listening to the song recently how kind of perfect it is for the time right now in the sense of you know we're all in the situation where we have we have no control and it's all uncertainty so to think about you know it's like you can stand against the wall you know painted in the corner crying for your mother it won't matter. It's kind of accurate. <laughs> like it doesn't really matter what, you know, and I know, well, I mean, that was kind of my next question was you just had the opening scene and knew it was about a, a kid who, who gets in trouble with a bully and, and that's all you knew when writing it. Yeah. I knew it was a, like a fight movie, you know, it was a fight at three o'clock kind of movie, but, um, right. 
that was that was about it. I don't think I read the script yet. Um, but uh, yeah, so that I the the thing I do remember was I was like, what am I what am I gonna what's the chorus on this gonna be? And I have a bit of an obsession with old '40s movies like film noir and things like that, and sure. all that kind of film noir language and, yeah. and the, the way they speak. I love all that stuff. And I remember all of a sudden this thing popped in my head that was like, yeah, I'll give you something to remember me by buddy. Something like that. And I went, Hey, something to remember me by. And I didn't think, you know, back then we couldn't just <laughs> immediately search to see if that, that was also a title. There is a, a song called something you remember me by. That's a nice little ballad from the, I think forties or fifties, but, um, Fuck that song. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, fuck um, that song. Really? Yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> they, they suck. Different contents, for sure. Yeah. Who cares? Who cares, yeah. Johnny? It's the um, 40s. That's but, not a real decade anyway. Yeah, that didn't even well, really happen. Your your song, I, I, for, for it reminded it had elements of, uh, of Squeeze in there, elements of... Uh, Marshall Crenshaw in a weird way. Uh, hmm. A little bit of a little bit of Plimsolls kind of came out to me, like in that cinematic sense, like because it, it really crafts the scene so well, just like the Plimsolls crafted scenes for in Valley Girl so well, um, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So yeah. when when you when you had this song, like you must have been tripping when when the movie came out, <laughs> and then you see it on. Like, can you talk us talk to us a little bit about? that process once you, when you first saw it on screen or how was, how did that feel? Oh my God. Well, it was, you know, uh, thrilling. Um, I remember that Phil, uh, invited me down to universal, this universal lot. Um, cause they were going to do post and, and actually put the music to the picture. And he said, you want to see this? And I was like, hell yeah. So I went down there and hung out in like this, you know, one of those little theater rooms, and it was a, also a Foley stage. So there was these pits with sand and glass and all this other kind of stuff. Yes. <laughs> and I just remember nice. just sitting there while they, you know, worked on it and put it up and made sure it was like kind of the right and right places and all that kind of stuff. And it's just really, really super fun to just sit and watch that. Um, and then, you know, obviously seeing it opening night in, in Westwood and the, like the big screen was like, man, this is so cool. Yeah. I was 22, <laughs> you know. It's wow, amazing. twenty-two years right. old. Wow. Yeah. Uh, still, still living in a uh, in a in a in a changing uh, pool room at yeah. your parents' house, skunk infested <laughs> pool house, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and paying rent to paying your rent. Uh, slumlords. And, and uh, I, had a jo- I had a job at a at a record store. I was you know, working at a record store. I didn't have the nerve to you know ditch that job yet. It's like, well, I don't know. Sure. How long I don't know how long this is going to hold out. So, <laughs> yeah, could because from from this point on, you know, and and I I read your bio and all that good stuff, but uh, like you had you continued to work in film and television, right? Yeah, the um, the drummer on that song, Rick Murata, who's a super super well known studio drummer and producer. Um, I mean, he played he played on Blue Bayou by Linda Ronstadt. Oh, played wow. with. With on, um, I think Instant Karma, John Lennon's song Instant Karma. Yeah. Um, played with nice. the Pointer Sisters, toured with Stevie Nicks, James Taylor, all that 70s <laughs> stuff. And he's just a okay. great, great drummer and, um, but, and a super, super funny guy. And for some reason, when, when we were in the studio together, we just hit it off. And so he, he said, Hey, you know, maybe I, you know, I know a few people, maybe I can help kind of get your music around and see what we can do with it. And I was like, cool. So I worked with Rick after that for a few years, just 
working on his projects, my projects. And uh, uh, where was I going with this? Well, you were, I was Con- asking. Continuing in the biz? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you were still that working up? in film and TV? Oh, well, well, I, yeah, I, yeah. That's right. I do, and I do want to. I do want to tell you really quick, though, too, because uh, I don't know if Dustin's picking up on this, but the fact that you mentioned James Taylor, Stevie Nicks, and um, Linda Ronstant, we, we had a guest on last year named Richard Norton, a martial artist who's been in well over 50 films, and he was a, a bodyguard prior to that for Linda Ronstadt, Stevie Nicks, and James Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> in that order. <laughs> Yeah, in that order, dude. So I'm wondering, I'm like, in this in weird order. roundabout way, it's there's so this weird strange. connection. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, well, I didn't want to deviate too much. I just had to no. put that out there. No, I heard you laugh. I, I was, like, I was well, smiling. I wonder what's, yeah. what, there must be what's a story up? in there somewhere. What, what did I say? Yeah. <laughs> but but working with Rick obviously um, got you to, got, got kind of propelled you in further into the film and television world, right? Yeah, and, and there was a definite thing that happened to me where, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you're into music and, you know, you're thinking to yourself, maybe I'll be a rock star and this is awesome, you know? And of course I I wanted all that stuff then too. But the weird part about getting that song in the movie is almost from the moment, like I started recording and being in the studio, we we recorded at Ocean Way, which is a beautiful facility in in LA. I mean, you know, like the Beach Boys worked there and all that kind of stuff. And just the, the Beach Boys actually were in the next studio over from us while we were recording that song. And that, you know, I I was just like completely enamored by all that stuff. But one thing I started to realize while we were working on it is, wow, I was watching the producer, David Tickle. I was watching what he was doing and I was watching what the engineer was doing and I was watching how they were making an arrangement and I was looking at the studio musician guys that were there. It was Rick, an amazing guitar player named Mike Landau, who has played on everything. And, uh, I still can't remember the bass player's name, unfortunately. But I was watching those guys, and I suddenly had this like sort of shift where I didn't want to be a rock star. I wanted to be a working musician mm. and nice. producer. And it was like this little kind of tumbler clicked in my head, and I was like, "I oh, know I don't want all that other stuff. I want to, you know, I want to write music, and I want to just like I want to be just like a normal guy that makes a living doing music, if that's possible. Is that a thing? I don't know." <laughs> Yeah, but for, I wanted to see real. if I could if I could try it. And that's what we Rick and I were doing. And and also when you hang around with a bunch of session guys, those guys will level you pretty fast. Hmm. First of all, they're they'll humiliate the hell out of you for fun. And second of all, they're they're just a normal guys. You know, they're day-to-day working stiffs. Sure. And yeah. and I was like, that's that's what I want. They're so the total. guys that I was ending up with were, you know, you know the did you see the wrecking crew documentary? No. Oh, great documentary. It's on Netflix. Um, it's all about oh, this. Somebody group was just of telling me about this. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, this is this group of musicians who played in the sixties and early seventies on every record you ever heard. Oh, cool. And and you think like when you hear Sonny and Cher, you think, Oh, they must have must have been the Sonny and Cher band. No. Yeah. You hear pet sounds by the Beach Boys and you go, Oh, it's the Beach Boys must have played on that. No. Uh <laughs> Frank Sinatra, no, it's the wrecking crew. It's it's this group of musicians that had like Glenn Campbell and Leon Russell, Carol Kay wow. on bass, Mel, um, not Mel, um, no, no, I'm spacing on the drummer's name. Amazing drummer, passed away a little while ago. Um, but, uh, you know, those those the guys did all the work in the 60s and 70s. And then the guys with Rick Murata, who kind of, they started calling him the California Mafia because they did, did the same thing. They played on all those records. It's James Taylor, Stevie Nicks, 
you know, all those, all that stuff, Steely Dan, <laughs> all the, all those records. Wow. And so it was like Rick playing drums, Rick or uh, Russ Conkle playing drums. And then like Lee Sklar or Bob Glob playing bass, um, amazing guitar players, Waddy Wachtel, those kind of guys. And all these, these guys, they played on everything. So all of a sudden I kind of fell in with Rick into a group like that. Not that wow. I was comparing myself to those guys, but I, I was somehow fell, fell in there. So no, but I was being working in on, that is a big deal. I mean, like <laughs> you, were, me. you were, you were, yeah, you weren't comparing yourself. Like, uh, we were, we had, um, Instacola on recently and he was talking about how that was his dream. He wanted to be a session musician when he came out to LA, uh, specifically. And there is this idea, yeah, doing what you love and not, not having to compromise that just, just playing music all day. That, that, that is dream come true for you. That's fantastic. I can think of worse things to do. Yeah. For real. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Right, well, I just said it. You were going to work at Radio Shack, you said. So that yeah, seems man. more fun than Radio Shack. <laughs> Get yeah, you 20% so... discount. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so uh, Rick um, Rick actually ended up not when, uh, after I moved. moved um, he ended up doing all the music to Everybody Loves Raymond. Okay. So wow. he did that forever. Um, wow. But before that, he knew a lot of producers and TV people and film people. So we would get these, these jobs where it's like, Oh, we're doing, we're sa- we're doing the soundtrack to a movie. Oh, we're doing the soundtrack to uh, tales from the crypt, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, there was really fun. And we, and man, did I learn a lot doing that? You know, any, anytime I was around any musicians like that, I was just like a sponge just soaking as much up as I could. Were you a fan of that genre that you were working in? Because a lot of that was like more thriller, horror, Esque, um, you know, mirror, mirror, yeah. also included. In that. Are you a fan of of that genre? I love all that stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love horror. I love, uh, you know, thrillers. I like super campy yeah. movies. I love David Lynch. All you know, all that, all that stuff. That's anything that's slightly oddball. I kind of gravitate towards. Do you have any favorites from the eighties? Films or, yeah, films like oddball. Not to well, put you on the spot, but I, you no, know, no, if, if you had any, like, like Blue Velvet really sort of spun my world around at the time. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, what, nice. what is going on with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Mommy, and I loved for sure. <laughs> so yeah, I'm. I love that stuff. Toxic Avenger, you know, oh, yeah, uh-huh. odd, and any anything like that. I was just like, well, what else you got? Come on, come on, let's do this. Yeah, this is great. Class of Newcomb High. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got I got one for you. I got one for you. If you haven't seen it and it's in the Toxic Avenger realm, I highly recommend you search down a copy. Have you ever seen a movie or heard of a movie called Street Trash? No. Okay. You, okay. I, if you like that kind of down and dirty, it's about uh, vagrants in in New York and New Jersey, and all hell breaks loose. And I, I I'll just let you know there's there's one scene. Uh, there's a keep away scene where a guy gets his dick ripped off and they play keep away with it. So, uh, <laughs> All right. Oh man, why haven't I seen this movie yet? Street trash. Street trash. Street trash is, okay. In my opinion, it's probably one of the, one of the like grimiest cult movies ever. Fantastic. So, I'm, I'm in. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do a remote uh, $2 late fee screening of street trash. Yeah. I own it. So, <laughs> oh my God. Um, so you, so you, you scored a film. What, was Redline the first film you scored, like ever? F- fully scored, yeah. Um, okay. Before I have that, to tell I... you, 
Oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say before that, I did a, a song for a movie, a horror movie called Mirror, Mirror. I don't know if you ever yeah. saw that one. I yeah. did. Uh, did a f- couple of little cues for that one and, and the main song for it, which didn't which sound is, anything like. <laughs> no, I was going <laughs> to say it's, it's a total departure mm-hmm. from your, from your, it has, it's not, it's not pop. It's more like kind of um, like the 1920s, like, 19. Yeah. Exactly. It's supposed to sound like an old 20s mm-hmm. song coming off the, uh, off of a radio. So, but that was super great. fun to do. Got to work with yeah. a little horn section and I didn't, I don't write for horns. So I had these two guys that just basically sort of like new Orleans kind of, you know, Dixieland. They just kind of played in the background, played this stuff to accompany the vocal and they were amazing. So that was fun. Redline was when I, after I moved up here, I met a guy up here who's a fantastic songwriter who's now in Nashville, uh, a guy named Craig Crothers. And two guys that I had gone to high school with turned out they were making these indie movies. And I was, I love I, it. Um, it was like, uh, I called them just big titty car crash movies because that's pretty <laughs> much what they were. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And, and uh, <laughs> they called me up and I had kind of just moved here and they said, Hey, we, we have this movie we want you to score. And, and I didn't have any kind of real studio or anything. And I was like, man, I'd love to do it, but I just don't have the equipment to do it. And they went, Oh, okay. That's all right. And then I was, I had met this guy, Craig, and I was telling him about it. He goes, well, I got a studio. Let's do it over here. I said, okay. Nice. So we just collaborated on it. It was really fun. Um, and the guys liked it. So uh, yeah, I, I still get checks from that movie. Usually, oh, from, nice. you know, places like the Ukraine, and and uh you know korea stuff like that just places where <laughs> american crazy. movies they just love american movies so much you know that they'll even watch that well i uh <laughs> justin texted me one night because we were he was going down a rabbit hole of um of uh movies by a production company called uh, pm entertainment i think and they did yep. like kind of martial art uh late 80s early 90s martial art movies and you know, B movies. Right. And, and, uh, and then when I was, when we were doing research on, on your background and I saw you did Redline, and I, and I'm like, I know that name, I know that name from somewhere. And I looked it up and I'm like, yes, I was a huge Chad McQueen fan back in the day to the point where I wanted, I was, I was obsessed with Steve McQueen. Uh-huh. And, uh, when his son started kind of getting more outside of Karate Kid doing more like adult film, like he, he was an adult, he wasn't a teen anymore. And I, I looked up to him. I thought he was really cool. And I thought, oh, Michael Madsen, who was really cool at the time. Jam Michael Vincent. Wait, wait. Corey Feld. Robert Zarr. Julie Strain. What? Dom <laughs> DeLuise. Mean, Dom DeLuise. The, yes. the, movie, the movie's fun. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy that film. Me too. Um, yeah, good. You should, as you should. <laughs> yeah. Was I, it I challenging? It. Was it challenging oh, scoring that film? The only thing that was challenging about it was that was really early kind of digital stuff. That was like 90, 
95 or 96 yeah. or something like that. And yep. it was, it wasn't as easy to just, you know, I think we had like Craig had one kind of one of those old classic Macs, like just those little things that were about the size of a toaster. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it had like, I remember he had a, um, he needed more memory. So he spent all this money and he got this, this thing in the mail one day. He's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Now I have one entire gigabyte of memory. <laughs> and that was a huge deal back then. Yeah. One gigabyte. Huge deal. So we did a lot of stuff. We did a lot of stuff with, uh, with MIDI so that we didn't eat up a lot of uh, space yeah. with actually recorded things. Cause MIDI yes. is, you know, kind of easier to deal with anyway. We, you, but it was, um, yeah, we, we would just send stuff to them and most of the stuff we sent, they, they liked and they thought the cues worked, worked well. Every once in a while they'd say, ah, that stinks. Try again. Uh, but yeah, so it was, it was really fun. Get out. I'm going with you. Look, this is your last chance. Once I get going, I'm not stopping and letting you out. Now get out. Bonnie, let's go. Hit it. Damn it. Nothing attracts partners in crime like the rush of the ride. I work alone. Not anymore. You want to know who runs this town? You look at it. In the business of auto theft, Jim O'Connor is the best there is. The front gate's open, you just drive it right out. Not you might have to use some skill. A car hasn't been built that he can't steal. A competitor hasn't been born that he can't beat. How much longer do I gotta keep running your guys off the road? And he's hungry for a challenge. If they're paying you 20000 for delivering this car, there's got to be something in here worth millions. Oh, my God. Where's my goddamn car, kid? You want to die rough, I can work that out. I'm here to end your life. How are you? Get ready to go into overdrive. Starring Chad McQueen of New York Cop and number one fan. Michael Madsen, star of Mulholland Falls and Species. Jan Michael Vincent of Alienator and Airwolf. Roxana Zal of River's Edge. And Corey Feldman from Voodoo and Blown Away. We'll lose the asshole. You're a smart guy, you know that? Thank you. Red Line. There's nothing like the need for speed. <laughs> when we first... Started. I got first got a copy of it. They said check the movie out and you know do do like a little kind of um, spot session where you figure out where you think the cue should go. And there was you know because I'm up here and they're down there, so it's all kind of like like this, but wasn't as easy. And, uh, <laughs> I remember Craig and I are sitting watching the movie, and there was one scene where the a car pulls into a driveway and there's this little kind of squat guy gardener bent over and he stands up and we both go. Ron Jeremy. And then we looked at each other like, oh, we both know who Ron Jeremy is. Ooh. <laughs> and it turns out that Ron Jeremy rented them all this lighting gear because he owns a bunch really? of lighting stuff. Um, and uh, he rents it out. Oh, for his so movies. He, yeah. Yeah. For his <laughs> movies. And he just became this like sort of rental house. Um, and the guys oh, that were funny. making the movie rented from him. And he said, I'll, I'll give you a discount if you guys let me be in it. Oh, he did. Like, okay, so they stuck him in as the, as the gardener. He had like one quick little line, and he's like, Let, "Let's story? steal this on a handshake." <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> do 
Do you know the um, uh, the story about Jan Michael Vincent in that movie? Well, I know his face was pretty uh, messed up, and I'm, I'm not. I, I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but please, please tell it. Well, he had a notorious drinking problem. Yeah, and, and uh, apparently he was all signed up to do the movie, and literally they, they were going to shoot like Monday, and on Friday night he crashed his car into a tree or something like that, and basically just smashed his entire face. Yeah, and Eesh. so he went. He, the, his, his agent called the filmmakers and said, Hey, Jan Michael crashed his car. And they're like, Oh my God, Oh my God. And they said, don't worry about it. You know, we'll find somebody else. And they went, no, he wants to do it. <laughs> I'm like, what? He wants he to do it. He's all cut up and screwed up. And he said, yeah, th- th- maybe you could like, uh, uh, you know, come up with some kind of backstory that he had just gotten uh, an assassination attempt on him or something like that. And been blown up. <laughs> And they're like, oh, okay. So they just wrote that into, <laughs> into the script. <laughs> wow. And two days after smashing his car up, there he is. Like, And we, we, while we were working on the movie, we just kept referring to him as Stitch Face because he's just got these stitches all over his face that are like have this yeah. like sort of Vaseline rubbed on him. Yeah. Very creepy. Yeah, it, 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 looks like, it looks like a terrible makeup job, but it's real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because... Wow, yeah, Sam Michael Vincent, man, that's a sad story. But, but the fact that he's like, no, I want to do the movie. Come on, let's do it. But for, yeah. I mean, I, I honestly think I said to Dustin, I said, look, it's a fun movie to watch with a bunch of friends, and you know, uh, and 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 kind of goof on, and and it's got some great, you know, moments in it, and uh, I just think it's badass that you did that movie, that you scored it. Oh yeah, thank you. The, I love the uh, all the bullet, you know, references in it. So you were away from the L.A. world, the L.A. scene, and like not wanting to be a part of that anymore. Um, and but then you continue to work in the business, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now that you bring it up, I guess. I, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to get it out of your, out of your <laughs> blood, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so I was I was doing that stuff when it would, it would come along, which was, you know, not that often. But when it would come around, it would be great. And um, meanwhile, playing with my my uh duo partner yeah and uh and then craig crothers the guy who i scored the movie with um he was the guy who uh the, we had a trio with tim the the guitar player i eventually ended up breaking off with and yeah that we had a trio called the craig crothers trio and we did that for about four or five years and then craig moved to nashville so tim and i just continued and uh yeah we played tim and i just played and played and played it was it was crazy um the, the funny thing was, is like really good friends, but we never like really stopped to examine what we were doing. It's not like we sat out, you know, at a bar or something and went, remember that gig we played? We just were playing gigs. It was just like constant. And then what the, the nice thing was after I quit, um, we'd hang out and we'd actually go, remember that gig? Yeah. We did have these great conversations about, you know, like stuff like that. And we also never bothered to, um, uh, kind of capture ourselves live. We never recorded ourselves. Not, mm. I mean, we didn't do it. Sometimes people would video stuff and put it on YouTube or st- stuff like that, but we never did it ourselves. But there was this one guy who used to come in and see us play all the time. This guy, Keith, super nice guy. And he would bring in a, a mini disc player and okay. he'd say, Hey, can I, can I plug into your PA head and just like record the show? I'm like, yeah, go oh, ahead. Wow. So every, you know, <laughs> month or so he'd come in, Hey, can I plug into your thing? Yeah, sure. So after Tim passed away, maybe a couple of weeks later, he goes, 
hey, do you know that I have tons and tons of you guys playing live? And I went, what? He goes, yeah, I have, I have 60 hours. Wow. And I was like, what? 60 hours? <laughs> yeah. So like 20, 20 shows. Yeah. And so he sent it all to yeah, me so and cool. I was like, wow. So I started uh, kind of archiving it and editing some, you know, it a little bit to some of the spaces out and things like that. And I, put, I have them on my website. So there's yep. a whole Tim and Jim archives on there. And, and that's been, that was just a complete surprise that all that stuff was out there. So, so a lot of these, these shows that we sort of had forgotten about ever doing are, are up there now. And there's still 20 more. What is your website yeah. for those that would be interested in seeing this? Oh, it's jvamusic.com. That's jvamusic.com. <laughs> if your relationship with Tim, um, you know, I understand that artist relationship where you guys, you would come in, you do your thing, and it was all about what you were doing in that moment. And when you were able to sit back and stop and reflect and have those moments of like, oh, that was really fun. And you, when you're in it, you don't have those moments to do that because it sounds like you guys, that's you ate, slept, and breathed music live live performing 24/7. Yeah, uh, it was it was between 3 and 5 nights a week. Wow, and that's crazy. It, you know, and and these marathon sessions we were doing and then you know, I always think to myself like uh, about what would happen on that day and of course, you'd have to usually show up at the gig beforehand, set everything up so that when people walk in you're not dicking around. And uh so <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, you kind of like, oh, what do I have to do before we, before we do this load in, I've got to like change my guitar strings. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to pay a bill and then go down, set everything up, come back, hang out for a little while, have dinner, then go to the, go to the show and then hang out afterwards with whoever wants to hang out and then get home at two o'clock in the morning. And, you know, it's just like decades of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't stop to self-examine. You just do. And it was really nice to be able to have had time with Tim to self-examine a little bit before he passed. Cause that was just yeah, like, that's cool. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really good. I hear foreign words hanging in the salty air. open for a lot of big names yeah we got to open for some pe- some people um got to open for the some of the people are, are just people that i was excited about that if i you know other people would be like i don't, don't even know who that is but like uh <laughs> asleep asleep at the wheel which is a, a great texas sort of uh like swing kind of uh band uh country swing kind of band 
And those guys have been around forever. They're, they're like, you know, been around since the late sixties or something like that. And I love that band. Wow. And we got to open for them one time, which was fun. And, uh, Warren Zevon, uh, who's one of my songwriting idols. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's great. Lover boy. That was fun. <laughs> nice. Um, we did two nights with Little Feet one time, which those guys are amazing. Not only not, not only, minus Lowell George, obviously, but uh Yeah. <laughs> but like couldn't couldn't be nicer guys. You know, that when I meet bands like that, like, wow, I love Little Feet. And you meet the guys and they're totally cool, no ego, just as down to earth. That that's like what I have always aspired to. That's the band I want to be. I don't want to be uh you know, the kind of band that has some kind of nose up in the air, like, you know, I just, I don't even get that. It's just like yeah, that I, ego trip is so lame to me. I was able to, um, one of my favorite musicians is this guy named, um, Terry Reed, which not too many people know about. Uh, but if you look him up, he's got a crazy story. He basically turned down, the the lead singing spot in Led Zeppelin. Right. Um, that's how I know that name. Yeah. And he was a singer songwriter in the sixties and seventies. And I had an opportunity opportunity to meet him um, a few years back at Pappy and Harriet's in Joshua Tree, which uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's kind of Pioneer you know, Town, man. Pioneer Town, and it's you know, <laughs> legendary, right? And and mm-hmm. he comes out, and, and this guy's, you know, he 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 comes out from behind the uh, stage area, and he's like, "Oh, hello, I, I'm Terry Reed. Nice to meet you." And next thing you know, he's hanging out with us all night, and I'm like, "I'm hanging out with the guy that I idolize." Um, you know, it, 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 I, I totally get that, that they they lived up to expectations. They didn't let you down. They weren't, you know, dicks about their their pompous, about their, uh, musicianship and whatnot. And just regular old dudes, you know? Yeah. You just, that's the, that's the, you know, celebrity story that you want, you know, not the, oh boy, I met Bono and he was a total dick. (laughs) Yeah. I noticed you, uh, you play with Boz Skaggs as well. Is that true, oh, by yeah. the way? Is Bono a total dick? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I wouldn't know that story. <laughs> Exclusive. Uh, Phil would probably know. He directed Rattle and Hum, so. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, there you go. But what was it? You, you said something uh, right No, I was, saying, I was saying you uh, you play with Boz Skaggs, and I wonder oh, yeah, if you Boz played. Oh, yeah, Boz Skaggs. I wonder if he played the song Loan Me a Dime, which is probably, in my opinion, his his best song ever. Well, the funny thing about doing these these opening slots is that usually we're opening and then going to play somewhere. Mm. So we'd finish our set, pack up and then get off the stage and leave before we even saw the opening band. Okay. <laughs> Cause we had another gig to play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry and guys. We've got to go. That was the case with, with boss gags is um, it was at some zoo down in uh, Eugene or something like that. Eugene, okay. Oregon. And uh, we, I remember that they didn't have a dressing room for us. Boz had a dressing room, but they didn't have a dressing room for us. So they said, here, here's two folding chairs. You guys can sit behind the, the back line on the stage. And so that's all the big amps that are set up and stuff like that. So we just yeah. sat there quietly and, uh, we started to hear like big, like big murmur, like, like a lot of people. And I was like, wow, I wonder how many people are out there. So Craig goes, well, let me check. Mm-hmm. And he popped his head up over the speakers and you know that thing that happens where you're waiting for a show and like some guy will come out with a microphone or do a mic check and everyone's like, yay, and start, start yelling. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the show's what happened. Gonna, like the signal that the show's going to start soon, right? <laughs> yeah. And so Craig popped his head up over the amp and, and 3,000 people were at this thing and they all went, wow. And Craig kind of sat down and went, wow, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that's now I feel like a fool. 
but yeah, a lot of those kind of he's, things. He's got a, I mean, Boz Gag's got a big following, so uh, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> For Lido Shuffle, you know, but yeah, right. <laughs> the whole Yacht Rock craze, it's still alive and well. But it sure is. I, I love that you're still making music um, and, and doing stuff that's personable to you. Your latest album that you put out is called Hemlock, right? Yeah, F- uh, EP. The, the EP, yeah, the five song, which I love. Personally, think it's fantastic. Oh, um, thank you. God, yeah, you're appreciate welcome. appreciate it. Yeah, no. If, if, if I haven't heard it yet, Jim, but I'm sure it's fantastic. You know what, Justin? I'm gonna I'm gonna gift it to you, okay? Uh we can play a little bit now. You look like someone who never discovered that to walk you put one foot in front of the other. You've been bellied up to the bar too much. Your Hemlock EP cover has a luchador on the front. Uh, are you a fan of old school wrestling? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but my my friend and mastering engineer who does all my mastering of my albums uh, is a guy named Ryan Foster, who uh, has a company called Foster Mastering, and he's okay. fantastic. He and I have been friends for many years, and usually when we finish doing a, you know, we're goofing around with selfies and stuff while we're doing a, a session and uh he put on one of those masks at the end of the session to take a picture with me and uh i thought it was a really funny picture and i superimposed it over um over the is it the death of socrates the painting of the death of socrates where he he okay. takes hemlock to die oh yeah yeah um, okay yeah 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 so there's a little kind of t- tiny little uh, ghost of that in there with like that. with Ryan with that <laughs> wrestling mask on. I don't know why I just like the two images together. Oh, I thought it, I, it's badass. Mm-hmm. It's very haunting. Your your images for your all your EPs and albums are are haunting. Does your does your wife shoot those? Um no, uh she she has shot a couple of them, but mostly it's me. You know, that okay. that's the thing is like I love 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 working with other people. I love playing in bands when I can. I love collaborating, but most of the time I'm the only one here. So I just kind of go, uh, I guess I'll figure out how to do this. Like on the website, you know, uh, yeah. I guess I'll just figure this out. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, usually it's just a kind of a, kind of a one man band deal going on. <laughs> over here. Nice. <laughs> you got the symbols I, on your knees and, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. But I, <laughs> I saw, um, you guys know that TV show, um, better things. It's Pam, Pam Adlon, who's yes. a voice, voice artist. She's great. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and she, and she has this really great show called on Better FX? Things. 
I think FX. Uh, either that or Hulu or one of those. I can't Hulu. remember. It sounds right. Okay. I was watching that show one one night, and uh, there was a scene in a bar, and in the bar there was music playing, and the, I kind of lost tr- track of what the characters were saying because I was listening to this music, and it was this really cool, like electric guitar, real swampy, reverby, real very very ethereal, and this girl's voice who. Her voice reminded me a little bit of Julie Cruz, who used to sing mm. on the Twin Peaks theme, you know? Yeah. Very, very high kind of spacey kind of voice. And then they showed quickly the person who was playing in the back of the room, playing at the bar, and it was this blonde woman just playing her big kind of hollow body guitar. I was like, God, I wonder what that is. That's a really cool song. Anyway, the show ended. I came out here and I, I Googled the song, found who it was, a woman named uh, Corinna Rep, and went on her website and bought all three of her albums and then sent her a note. Hey, I just saw you on better things and bought all your stuff. How's it going? (laughs) And it turns out she's, it lives in Portland. Oh my Um, God. Oh, wow. Crazy. So, uh, so we, we kind of had a little back and forth a little bit and, uh, really like her stuff. Really, really cool, very interesting style. And at the time I started Hemlock, that was going to be just me and an acoustic guitar. And I got like two songs in and I was like, I am so bored. And I needed some kind of inspiration. I didn't want to do another acoustic thing. So yeah. when I saw her, totally inspired me. And I told her that. I'm like, man, this just really just made me happy and made me want to do something like that, you know? So so the whole record has kind of the same old guitar, spacey guitars, kind of one or two vocals. It's just very minimal. Love so. That. So yeah, was, it definitely I, works. I, I love the I love the minimalism of it because it's um I think you might have even described it when you were promoting it on your Instagram or Facebook saying, you know, it's like late evening, uh, you know, kind of chill vibe and and uh or something. Not I'm not I'm paraphrasing obviously, but um I put it on in the background and and it's really subtle. Um but there's there's but I feel like there's and I think this is with all your music. There's a little, there's a depth of complexity to it, uh, which I, which I really admire. I'm not a musician, uh, like technically. Both Dustin and I have have performed and sang, and um, and I bet I was in a band for years, but I don't know any of the like the terms, right? So I'll be like, yeah, it's really good what you did with that um, note. <laughs> but I will, I will say that, I will say that you're you're. Uh, your, your stuff evokes a lot of emotions and just, you know, just giving you a, a shout out as we have been doing this entire interview. Um, <laughs> because well, thank you. Don't stop. Yeah, man. No, so, yeah, so but keep, keep it. <laughs> Do you ever, uh, you know, Dustin and I, Dustin and I have been talking about how obviously pre COVID-19, we were talking about doing a live show down the road and performing, uh, like interviewing some people on stage and then doing like a mini concert of some of our favorite songs from the eighties, eighties movies that we, uh, that we admire. And, oh, wow. and I was like, you know, and then we run, when we had Vince DiCola on, he's like, Oh, I'd love to be a part of that. And I said, wait, what you, you mean? Like play keyboard. And he's like, yeah, just let me know. I'd love to be a part of that show. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, that's amazing. But, um, you know, if we ever find a way to get you down here, doing a live version of something to remember me by would be a real honor. Oh man. I would love to do that. That would, right. have, that would make me get up and, uh, in front of people. 
and do something because yeah. I haven't done that in a long time. So that'd be fun. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, well, well. Keep that in mind, um, you know, for the future because we. Dustin's all about manifesting uh, dreams, and so am I. And, and, and in the, in the meantime, could you do that? Do something to remember me by for us on Facebook Live as a ballad. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? Uh, what's funny is you know I've been doing these little mini concerts. Yeah, yeah. Someone, that's... someone um, asked me if I would do that song. Yes, it, it was probably and, me. And was it? it said, could, could you? <laughs> no, do, no, it, like, it wasn't me. Oh, <laughs> but <laughs> said, could, you, could you do it electric? And I was like, oh. electric. So all those other ones are acoustic, and this one I did a little set with that song in it, and a couple others just uh, with electric guitar, and I'm putting that one out later today. Oh, Great. you're kidding. All oh, right. Cool. Done. Well, yeah. that was easy. Manifestation done. See? <laughs> wow, I'm telling you. That easy. Jim, I'm telling you, Dustin is Dustin is my magic totem. He's like, um, he is, uh, he makes oh, things happen. Sweet. Yeah, no, sincerely. The whole reason we're doing this podcast is all about, it's, it's our love of, it's a love letter to all the things that we are big fans of. So uh, having you on our show today is is has been really an honor knowing your music is the opening and closing to our show uh is is really means the world to us so thank you oh man thank you guys yeah. this has been so fun i really appreciate it and i, I really dig the show cool right on well thanks um, thank you so you already promoted your website but if there was anything else that you wanted uh to direct folks to uh please do so <laughs> um i i also do a, a storytelling podcast oh. Uh, called Record that's uh, on SoundCloud. So it's just Jim Walker Record. You can find it that way. Love it. Okay, we'll definitely check that out as well. I mean, you have many stories to tell, and thank you for sharing the stories you've already shared with us. And we will be, uh, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, make, I'll put together a, a viewing party for Street Trash or something comparable. <laughs> yes, I want to see it. That sounds <laughs> great. Street, street Trash will blow your fucking mind. Like, it is, it, it, it is it is bonkers. Um, you had me at keep away with a man's penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we, yeah, I got a few buddies of mine. They're like, we got to do viewing parties. I'm like, we can't watch a movie that we're going to actually watch. We got to put on something. We're going to be talking and goofing on the whole time. But, um, yeah. but Jim, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for giving us uh, positivity in this crazy world we're living in right now. Well, stay well. Totally welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
To hear more music from Jim Walker, go to jvamusic.com. All right, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.